0: Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kensugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with this week's conversation about resilience. But first, if you wish to create a better life and have a better career, then please visit michaelobrienshift.com and download your free workbook on how to create a better life. In it, you'll discover ways to find more energy for the things and the people who matter most to you so you can create a better tomorrow. Hey there, it's Michael. Welcome back or welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast. It's time for another conversation about resilience. When we started the year, I promised more interviews for you to bring people from my Peloton into the Kintsugi Podcast so they could share their wisdom, their story of resilience with you, their Kintsugi story. And today's guest is a gem, such an inspiration. In New York, they would call him a mensch. His name is David Taylor Kloss and his Kintsugi story starts when Hurricane Katrina hit the United States. And from that point to today, he's living life with purpose, with intentionality. He embraces his blemishes and scars and his wrinkles, as we all should, because we're all beautiful works of Kintsugi art. We are resilient. Now, normally in an intro before an interview, I would try to share a few gems, you know, to make the interview a little bit more enticing. So you stay with The show, and you dive into the interview. But David shares so much. I'm just going to pause, breathe, reflect on his interview and invite you to sit back, perhaps take some notes and just listen to David's wisdom, his energy, his sense of humor. What I love is that he brings a practical notion to coaching and also to life to make sure that we take advantage of our one wild and precious life that we all have. So without further ado, let me introduce to you, David Taylor Kloss. Sit back and be inspired by a true mensch. How's it going? It's going well. How's your world? It's beautiful. It's a great day to have a great day. I've been looking forward to this day for, gosh, since what, two weeks ago when we first connected. I love your energy. I know the audience is gonna love your energy and your wisdom. And so we'll have just two guys having a conversation about how to show up in this world. But we're going to start here. This is the big question. Since it's the Kintsuki podcast, conversations about resilience, I'll invite you to finish the sentence. Resilience is...
1: You know, you told me the question was coming and I've done a really good job of not thinking about it because I want to bring up what comes right now. And so for me, resilience is my ticket out. What comes up, what I mean by that is... Knowing that resilience is possible and available
0: is the way out of anything. So resilience is hope. I love it. The way out. Ah, that's so cool. All right, so now that we've defined it through one particular lens, let's talk about your wake-up call. So I've had my last bad day. That was my wake-up call. We've all had wake-up calls of certain intensity I want to hear about your wake-up call and how loud that alarm was, or another way of looking at how loud that opportunity call was.
1: Mine had comedy involved in it, which was, you know, it was dark and comedic. And and I think that's that's my favorite way of being. So so I'll go there. But here's the wrapper for it. i got a friend named Alexis Arton who says, dude, you can listen to the universe when it whispers in your ear, or you can wait till it hits you in the head with a baseball bat. Your call. And I waited for the baseball bat. right I've been wrestling with depression since I was a kid, including a suicide attempt at fourteen. I mean this is part of my world. We have kids who are aware of it and wrestle with it and are much more conscious about it earlier than I ever was. But I took my eye off the ball in a big way, early in my entrepreneurial journey, Ten years into being an entrepreneur, or ten years into my last company. So this was, 2005 Um, I had a really cool awakening I had a reboot because of some health stuff Um, my eldest our eldest child we figured out they needed to come off gluten and I figured hey I'll go with them okay within about two weeks both of us evidently having very similar neurochemistry Um, completely different brains within about two weeks And literally for me, it felt like a reboot. So at age 39, I get this reboot. I get this fog lifted. And I chose to see that not as, oh my God, look at this epic opportunity. I spent the next year and look at all the shit I missed. Wow. Look at all the stuff I fucked up. Look what I did wrong. Look what didn't work, didn't happen, should have happened. So from 2004 to 2005, I went into that shit spiral. And it's Hurricane Katrina weekend, and Elaine and I are driving back, my wife and I are driving back into Atlanta uh, across Interstate 10. I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and the sky is black. And the thought is, wow, damn, that's a big storm. A little voice inside my head said, yeah, but it's nothing like the one inside you. I was like, first of all, poetic, dark, Why did it have to have a sense of humor? And what became super clear right then was the only thing I knew for sure was the five best ways to kill myself. I had lost all connection to what was important to me and why I was here and what I was doing. I had been living the should life. I Mm. was leading the way I thought I should. I was running the company I thought I should. I was partnering with my business partner the way I thought I should everything was what am i supposed to be doing what should be happening who am i supposed to be being doing leadership versus being a leader you know life looked great on social media but i was kind of dead inside and that was the the wake-up call was i couldn't find a reason to stay it was for me but i learned that Children of a parent who commits suicide are 50 times more likely to attempt in their lifetime. And that was not the legacy I wanted for my children. That's not, that's not who I wanted to be for them. That's not okay. So I stayed for them and I started doing the work for them. I, I got to a point where it was for me. Because you can never really create that change and that shift without it being for you. But you can start it for whatever the hell you need to use to start it. That was the wake up. That was that was my last bad day. My my goal is to never get anywhere close to that again.
0: Yeah. Always in the rearview mirror, please. Your story, David, just gave me goosebumps. Like when you shared, when you looked in the rearview mirror. And with Katrina, we knew that storm was coming. And all you had to do was turn on the television. Wherever you happened to live, at least in the States, maybe not in the world, but in the States, you knew the storm was coming. There was acknowledgement of it. Well,
1: yes, and yes, and <laughs> we ignored the signals of how bad it was, and so did I. That whole year when I turned the doorknob to my office, my stomach turned, but I made up it was because of the caffeine and spicy food. So I even stopped that stuff to make my stomach better. But it wasn't really working because that stomach was the
0: universe saying, hey, dumbass, wake up. Yeah, there's a beautiful mind-gut connection that we ignore or perhaps don't have knowledge of. Yeah, At our peril. Yes. So you have this moment, you have your wake-up call, it's Katrina weekend, and talk about your kids, you talk about you, your family, so you know in that moment things have got to change.
1: What do you do next? Spend the next several days sourcing and interviewing therapists (laughs) and diving into therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Leadership can be super isolating at any level. And as an entrepreneur, you're in a leadership position from the moment you have that seizure to start a company, right? Um, and I I really doubled down on that isolation. I kept everything inside. Uh, you know, I made up my business partner doesn't want to hear it. My wife doesn't want to hear it. The kids don't want to hear it. My employees definitely don't want to hear it. And even though I had a peer group, I was in Vistage for aeons. Um, I kept that inside because admitting that I'm scared, admitting that I don't know what I'm doing, because none of us do, is a failure in and of itself. And I wasn't going to do that because that's not what I should do. So I started (laughs) being out loud, talking about it. Started in therapy, then into coaching, then in my partnership with my wife. I spent a great deal of time and effort rebuilding my out loud muscle. Which is a huge part of we there's a guy named Marty Blackman, I think, who wrote a book called Younger Next Year. And there are only three things to it. One is stop eating crap. <laughs> Next one is eat, eat less, move more. And the third one is be in connection. The thing that we skip. And and yeah. even before COVID, it was critical. Now more so. Um, be yes. in human connection. We need to be in the energy field of other people. We need to connect. We need to be emotionally, physically, spiritually connected. That's essential to our health. We are tribal creatures. So I had to flex that muscle more. You know, an extrovert who was connected enough, like curated connection.
0: So yeah, that was that was the first work. Beautiful. There's such value in therapy. So what I love about your story, is there's a lot of parallels. Parallels to my story, I packed it down inside too. My corporate life, mm-hmm. you know, work sucked. I thought, well, since work sucked, that's why they pay you. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you ain't doing it for free, so you might as well get some compensation from it. And when I went home, I didn't want to retell the day because I didn't want to retell the pressure and the stress. So I packed it down as did you. So my wife is the head of my Peloton. I'm here today in a lot of ways only because of her and my daughters, but, but those three primarily. So what was that conversation like the first time you chatted with your wife to say, hey, hey, hon, can we talk? No, it's a generous
1: way to describe it, the chat. No, I was sobbing. I'm coming apart at the seams. It, it took a very long time to be able to actually speak. Mm. Like every time I started to talk about it, it was terrifying. I'm admitting to the nearest and dearest person in my world, God Alina and I have known each other since I was 11 years old. Oh wow, that's so nice. We, clearly we didn't date then. But, but that's that's getting naked at the at the rawest place. And that was hard. And to talk about what I was afraid of and talk about what was killing me. And and Saying out loud all the mistakes that I had been making in the most vulnerable place, right? Which should be the safest place, right? Yes. But I didn't feel safe anywhere because I didn't feel safe here. Yeah. I'm not safe inside. It's really hard to feel safe speaking out loud.
0: Yeah, it's that conversation we have with ourselves. Where we try not to. We try not to. Well, we avoid it. But both you and I are practitioners of conversational intelligence by the great and late judith glazer you know, how we connect because we need connection we thirst for it even the introverts among us mm-hmm. we need connection because as you m- mentioned we're tribal but that conversation we have with ourselves oof, frames or first domino however we, however we want to look at it that's so critical and
1: well and if anybody spoke to our spouses or our children, the way we speak to ourselves, we'd be up in arms. And, and yet we're, we're, we're horrible. I mean, granted, it, those are the negative narratives, those are the saboteurs, gremlins, whatever you want to call them. That's the, the you know, language of our lineage. It's a challenge to shift that. And it's completely possible. I mean, the first work is to shift the internal conversation. Working on changing conversations you're having with others works much better when you're having a healthier conversation with yourself. Absolutely, yeah. It always starts here.
0: Start, yeah, it always starts at home, right? Got to fill yeah. up your own cup first. Yeah. yeah. So from that moment, we start checking out therapists. You get one, start having conversations with those in your life. You're making progress. You're a different man today than you were back then. But the road or the journey, if you will, I'm sure it wasn't easy. There were three steps forward, two steps back. So current day, when you step in a pothole or there's a moment, because we still all have moments, even after my last bad day, I still have my moments. You had your wake up call and you still have moments. What do you tap into when you have a moment? It's a neat term. And I
1: learned it from my work with positive intelligence and, um, It's blameless discernment. Ah. It's to be able to look at what's happening and what happened with blameless discernment. And and here's why that's important. We are meaning-making machines and evidence-collecting machines. It's what we do. It's what's kept us alive for millennia. (laughs) But events are neutral. So literally everything, all the meaning we attach to things are completely made up. Now, we can't affect events we can't change them. We can't direct them. And well, that's another whole episode of how we can actually shift events. But let's stay with events occur. They are neutral. We attach meaning. Well, if meaning is all made up, why not make up something that serves? And the easiest way to do that is assess it with blameless discernment. No judgment, no voting, no meaning. Oh, that happened. And then choose what, else, what could be true. What else could be true? what else could be true and playing with all the things that it can mean from from the sublime to the ridiculous from the logical to the outlandish make it all up and even if you're doing it alone do it out loud when you say stuff out loud even in a room when there's nobody else here oh my god some of the stuff you'll come up with as to what it could mean sounds ludicrous the same thing you can say quietly inside your head when you say it out loud it's oh my god that's crazy. Or end, starting with blameless discernment is such a powerful tool. Because then you're in control of the
0: meaning that stays attached to it. I love it. All events are neutral until you label them. That was a big thing. I had a really low moment. We've talked about this, I believe. Mentor shared with me Hey, Michael, all the events in your life are neutral until you label them. You get to choose your label. Right now, you're labeling yourself as a victim. I'm submitting to you. You can look at this in a completely new way. And so then I got, got really curious about the labels we use. Good news, bad news, who knows? Yeah, I and mean, it's all neutral, right? We're just so quick, so quick to label things because we're still on our hamster wheel. And when we're on a hamster wheel, we just react. You said that. We're so
1: quick to label things. And what comes up is something I learned from, from the 12-step world, friend of mine shared this with me uh, last year, that we're not responsible for our first thought. We are responsible for our second. Yeah. And that that is powerful. The, the, that first thought could be a total reaction, an unconscious, unintelligent, primitive brain, knee-jerk reaction. Second thought can be a conscious response. That's where we have absolute power.
0: Yeah, I, and I'm not sure if the 12-step program finishes that notion off with, and first action, not responsible for our first thought, but we are responsible for our next thought and our first action. And which ties back to like Viktor Frankl's work and Man's Search for Meaning. It's it's all in the the intervals in between all of our different moments. And if we slow down enough, we have more room to play in those moments in between the moments. We can be more thoughtful. We get to play in a cool space as coaches, yeah.
1: you know, there, there are two gaps that we help folk navigate ourselves and others. And that first gap is the gap between when you're triggered and when you notice that you're triggered. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets triggered. Dalai Lama gets triggered. He just notices. And then the next one is the gap between when you notice and when you choose something different, a different neural pathway, a different thought, a different action, different, different, different. Now, in that middle space, the, that between you know, when you notice that you're triggered, it's much easier to choose something different when you add in blameless discernment here in the middle. Yes. And that's that's the playground. Yes, it's it's mindfulness, self-awareness that closes that first gap. And it's doing the work of you know, we were talking before the broadcast about we have a huge number of tools already, just remembering the ones we have and recalling so we can use them. That's the work of closing the second gap between when
0: you notice and when you choose something different. I love it. I love it. So I, w- I want to get to that. I want to get to coaching. So now fast forward, you're a team coach, a leadership coach, executive coach, how did your journey, what you went through, your storm, your wake-up call, how does it influence you today as a coach? Interesting, how does the how does the wake-up call
1: influence me? You know, I sort of get that um, there's no reason any entrepreneur, any leader should ever get as far gone as I got. That was sort of the first thought. Hmm. How did I learn this? How did I get here? By doing it wrong for so long, right? Um, and nobody should have to get that lost and disconnected. And, and that's got such a negative, you know, it's avoiding a negative and what's shifted in the last several years, it's become about what is, what is it that you're creating that I have an agenda for every single one of my clients, which is contrary to what coaching says, we're supposed to be free of attachment. I don't agree. And I've had some fun arguments with faculty at at two of the different coaching schools. I think we all have an agenda because I think every human, particularly entrepreneurs and leaders, are here to create a shift. The lucky ones dare to know what it is and dare to declare it. And I, I, I have an agenda. And that is that what I want from my clients is to take a peek at, face, eventually step into and fully live their own fucking magnificence. And I don't care what that looks like for them. Yeah. I care that it happens. So I'm not attached to a specific outcome. I'm attached to that big outcome of living that magnificence. So so yes, I hold that. And that's what I realized my work has shifted to over the over the 12 years I've been doing this, from avoiding that negative to, oh my God, creating that epic positive. It's a different it. way of doing it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of dogma out there. Um uh in the coaching world. I agree with you. My my agenda is I want I want my clients to wake up to this like freaking amazing life that we all have. Wake up, live it, and understand what you want to do. To paraphrase Mary Oliver, what you want to do with your one wild and precious life. Mm. Get off the hamster wheel and live live.
1: you know you can wait for another awful day or a wake-up call or an inflection point or a flash point. Everybody's got a term for it. You can wait for that or you can wait until you hit rock bottom. Or you can decide right where I am that's the bottom I'm going to raise it from here. That is a powerful life changing stance doesn't matter how good or bad things are for you right
0: now if you choose this is the bottom then it is yes yeah, i i think from your story and my story we had a lot of moments gifts from the universe god mother nature whoever you know that we just blew past because we weren't we weren't awake <laughs> or we were <laughs> awake enough to say you know what i don't have time for that i got to keep going i got stuff to do classic human doer before you become a human, de- a human being type of thing. Well, it's like,
1: you know, when you're on a bicycle in the Peloton and you're moving 20, 30 miles an hour, the wind against the straps on your helmet makes it hard to hear. And what I realize is I don't hear at speed, right? Because the universe doesn't scream. My intuition doesn't scream over the speed So my best access to my intuition, my best access to source and the information that's available to me is to slow down. We don't hear well at speed. No,
0: beautiful analogy.
1: Hamster wheel is noisy.
0: Yeah, it's too (laughs) noisy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and our vision, you know, narrows as well. So you mentioned assessments. In our coaching profession, and there are folks out there in the audience, that are coaches. We love our assessments. Oh boy, don't we? We want to measure your personality seven different ways till Sunday. You know, what color are you? Uh, your spirit animal. Um, <laughs> if you were a book, if you were a tree, like like you name it. If there's a, if, if there's a problem out there, I got an assessment for you. We're going to assess you to death. <laughs> of course, we're not going to judge, right? Because coaches don't do that. We're No judgment but we're going to assess the heck out of you. So I'll tee that up and I'll let you respond. <laughs> You're both certified in many assessments, but the real juice of coaching is not found in the assessment. True or false or agree, disagree. I want you to be able to comment on that. Greamingly true. Look, to, to be fair, I have assessments on my
1: wall, you know, ones that I've done. Uh, about me. And I've got as many letters after my name as I have in my name. So yeah, I've, I, I got caught up in the crack fest that is the assessment world. And, and I don't want to paint them all with a broad brushstroke as bad. I, I think that people in, in our world have a terrible understanding of where the value of these assessments are, where the value is. And, and that is that people think there's value in the data. In and of itself and that's wrong the data that comes back whether it's a 360 or hogan even enneagram saboteur assessment it doesn't matter the data itself is absolutely useless the only value in assessment are the conversations that are possible because of the data that's where the change happens that's where the shift happens because that's what can be used to open up awareness now now the other problem is I'll pick on it doesn't matter whose version of the 360. Um the the problem with most assessments is they don't get looked again, looked at again for 364 days. Until yes. the next abuse session. I mean your next review. And it, it's <laughs> terrible for the 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 assessor and it's terrible for the SSE because there's the cadence is too low. We're not using it with a cadence that allows us to actually monitor what's important and have the conversations there so we can create lasting meaningful change. It's just
0: a horrible afternoon. It's transactional at best. And People will argue, but filled with so much bias. And, you know, to your point, I I feel the same way. Like it's a snapshot in time. It's data rich Mm -hmm. that is there to spark a different conversation that you have with yourself and you have with others day in and day out. So the 360 is, to your point, not something you look at the next, you know, 364 days from now, it's something where you set your intentions every day based on the findings of your strengths that pop up based on feedback from others.
1: Exactly. When you can use that to create a development plan and measure yourself against that plan, then it has meaning.
0: Otherwise, it's just a yeah, measure yourself against yourself, not measure yourself against others. Yeah, comparison is a thief of joy. We got that in the late
1: 1800s from Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. And and that is so powerful. Compare yourself against yourself in that moment at your best. Yes. Compare yourself against your best writ large. Yes. But comparing yourself against anything else,
0: inviting in suffering. Yeah, totally agree. So as we think about rounding out our conversation, for those out there who might be going through a moment, Mm. They're looking for maybe validation of the tools in their toolbox or maybe put a few new tools in their toolbox to help them become more resilient, especially in this moment. What recommendations would you have? Actually, this one's going to come from Judith Glazer.
1: And it's one that anybody can use without training. (laughs) Um, Judith was famous for a quote, words create worlds. And our language is so powerful. We create our experience through the words that we use. And our words are also an indication of what we're making up in our head. So I want to offer people the opportunity to reorient the way they see. Let's look at it this way. How they determine where their time, effort, energy, and attention go. And and the problem is the phrase work-life balance. We use that and it skews everything. So here are the pieces. Here, here's where the words mess us up whose idea was it to put work first think what that does to the way we prioritize the way we organize the way we balance and invest our most important assets our time energy attention work life balance that's asinine right at the very least it should be life work balance well here's the other problem even before lockdown where our homes are also our schools playgrounds and offices in order to balance two things you kind of got to separate them Good luck. Yes. Trying to separate work and life. Work is an an integral part of life, just like play, family, community, faith, all the things that are a part of our life and important to us. So work doesn't belong in the phrase at all and balance doesn't either. The, The game and the lens I want to offer people is to look at the things that are important to you and create a rhythm among those work family play community faith whatever they are for you the the game is life rhythm forget work-life balance that's a lie it's a myth it's horrible life rhythm when you can switch to that language as you look at how you invest your time effort energy and attention then you're creating something a life that works for you
0: so that's the tool that i'd offer i love that i love that the rhythm, I like to think of it as harmony. Hmm. And and if if you're looking for balance, I bet there's assessment out there that oh, can sure. measure your work-life sure. balance. Probably five. Right. So <laughs> one uh, fun question, one a little bit more serious question. Through this pandemic moment, that's a long moment, what have you discovered about yourself?
1: You know, I said to my wife several weeks ago, I said, kind of weird I'm getting used to being an introvert. And she said, "Oh, sweetie. You're not being an introvert, you're being a hermit." Um <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, Elaine and I have been coaching, you know I have clients in 16 time zones, right? So I've been coaching over Skype and now Zoom for 12 years. But we used to travel for fun, for family, for friends, for for learning. So I we're not getting Zoom fatigue from being on Zoom Getting zoom fatigue for not having other engagement. Mirror neurons are withering. And I was like, oh yeah, the world's just catching up with us. I can do this. (laughs) You know, extroversion doesn't feed your mirror neurons the way real human connection does. Yeah. So time being outside, feet in the grass, they're, they're the interacting with nature, grounding and interacting with other human beings, even more critical for me than I thought. And I gave that a lot of a lot of power and and priority before, but oh my god, um, it's become super clear. I thirst for live music. Yeah, live music and you
0: know kitschy restaurants and hugs. Yeah, all those. Yeah, yeah, I miss. I'm, and it doesn't have to be a massive amount of people. Although you go to a a concert, usually you get a a few thousand. But yeah, just that hug. It's just that th- those simple things certainly miss it like yourself i've been on zoom for years I haven't necessarily been like every call on zoom <laughs> so which is something <laughs> that we have to like dial back we don't have to make every we don't have to make every call a zoom call some of them can be walk and talk calls to get out to nature but to your point that you brought up david it's like it's connection like we need connection that's the whole spirit of Kintsugi is like the pieces break we have to have connection we gotta have the the glue that brings us all back we need to be within the people we need that
1: and willing willing to do that and not throw away what appears broken it's so easy to say "Ah, that's done and sweep away the
0: pieces and that's that's such a missed opportunity it is all right here's the fun question I'm having dinner Saturday night, you're a big wine aficionado, like a red, maybe like in the Pinot family. So what would you recommend? Ooh, I'm gonna take you out of Pinot to the soft end of Cabernet Franc.
1: The the Cabernet Franc's a grape that's been used to blend down the, the, the power of a Cabernet. And in the last several years, Elaine and I have gotten into finding some really esoteric, exciting Cabernet Francs. Some that are on the big, bold, bite-your-tongue-back. Um, you know, high tannin, but real complex. And some of the softer, more engaging ones. And we found a couple Italian houses that are making Cabernet Franc. And when you ask the place where you buy your wine, they're gonna say, a what? All right. And keep asking. Cause you can find some
0: that are, that are sort of like a bolder Pinot. Nice. All right, I will pass that on to my wife because she's in charge of the wine in our household. So, and she's from Oregon, which is home of a lot of beautiful pinots in the Willamette Valley. So we'll see what we can do to add to the diversity of our palate. We'll explore. Keep digging for some American Cabernet Franc makers. That's, That's gonna be a fun journey. All right, that's very cool. All right, so David, how can people find you in this great big world of ours?
1: I'm a big fan of making things easy. Um, The book that I just released is called Mindset Mondays with DTK. And you can go to mindsetmondayswithdtk.com. You learn about the book. You can download the rewire framework, yet another tool, not an assessment, a framework that you can use for playing with new ways of
0: thinking, being, or doing. And you can learn about me. Awesome. David, thanks for joining us. Keep breathing. Of course, have fun storming the castle. Talk to you soon, brother. Yeah,
1: it'll never work. It'll take a miracle.
0: It'll take a miracle. <laughs> Thanks for letting me play. Hey there, it's Michael. Welcome back. Isn't David awesome sauce? He's so great. That interview could have gone on for hours. We could have turned it into a Tim Ferriss type podcast, but we didn't because I tried to make these bite size for you because I know how active you are. We spoke for hours before the interview. Again, we could have spoken much longer in the interview. I love David's approach. We share, obviously, for our love of cycling and coaching and just trying to be a better human to other humans. That's what we all have the ability to do with this thing called life. And he knows this, and I know you know it as well. If you're a listener to the Kintsugi podcast, we can't do this by ourselves. We need a strong Peloton. I'll use my vocabulary. If you don't know what a Peloton is, if you're new to the Kintsuki podcast, it's a group of cyclists in a bike race, like the Tour de France. They're all on different teams, but they still need each other to go down the road as fast and as safely as possible. Just like we do in life, we should be riding with people who bring out the best in us. And David is the type of guy that brings out the best in others. So I hope you'll follow him wherever you follow people. I hope you'll reach out to him, maybe a DM, maybe an email, check out his website. We'll put it in the show notes and just let him know that we care that he got through his Kintsugi moment so he can spread his wisdom and his energy and helping all of us become a better version of ourselves tomorrow than we are today. So with that, as always, thank you for listening to the Kintsugi podcast, subscribing, Rating it, leaving a comment, sharing it with friends, all that jazz and more. Until next week, I encourage you to pause, breathe, reflect on your kintsugi, on your resilience. We are all beautiful. We are all works of art, works of kintsugi art. Our scars, our blemishes, our weaknesses, our cracks, all that, they're not signs of being fragile. They're actually symbols of our strength, symbols of our resilience. So embrace your Kintsugi this week. Pause, breathe, reflect on that. And of course, as always, have fun storming the castle. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.